0: Now I'm ready to preach, all right? <laughs> My God, all right. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, turn with to uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 13. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Danny. Uh, thank you, worship team. Uh, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. Uh, uh, Psalm 13. Uh, this Wednesday, as we mentioned, uh, we kick off the season of Lent. We have our Ash Wednesday service at 7 p.m. here. Hope to see you there. It's a wonderful way to kick off the season of Lent from about 7 to... 8:15, 8:30, or so uh if you need a a card in your bulletin there should be an index card there you should have something to write with later on we're going to uh use that so if you need one just raise your hand one of our ushers will hand you one an index card in your bulletin as well as a pencil we're going to need that a little later uh, today we're beginning a new sermon series uh in the season of lent if you're new here my name is rich i'm the lead pastor at new life fellowship church if I've never met you before, I would love to do so at the end of our service. I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. Uh, but every year we pause to uh, participate with the body of Christ around the world in celebrating Lent. Lent is a 40-day period of preparation, of repentance, of uh, fasting, if you will, that has been done for thousands of years in preparation for Easter. And as we go through uh, this season of Lent, we will be focusing on various themes from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms for thousands of years has been the prayer book for the people of God. And it's essentially a a book of songs that articulate every human situation, every human emotion, every human encounter with God. And today we're going to look at a Psalm that's going to teach us to lament. And I'm going to, in a moment, uh, share why it's important for us to lament as individuals and as a church family. If we can put that, uh, the PowerPoint up, that would be great. Let's offer our time to God in prayer together. Father, thank you for uh, the change that's already come, the change that's gonna come in our lives and in our world. And Lord, we offer you this time as we enter into the season of Lent this week. Lord, may we experience your power, your grace, everything you have for us in this season. So, Lord, may your kingdom come in this place, may your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. 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 Uh, The book of Psalms has been one of my go-to books in the Bible for the past 16 years. And in recent months, I have made it a habit to read a Psalm each day, allowing those words to become my words as I pray to God. And when you read the book of Psalms, you'll notice immediately the range of human emotion in them. The book of Psalms contains words of joy and celebration, words of justice and of anger, words of worship and repentance. Before our time today, we're going to focus on words of lament. And when I think about the Psalms and the songs of lament, I can't help but to think of Adele. I can't help but to think of Adele. For those of you unaware of who Adele is, she is one of the more prolific singers uh, in our generation. She has one of the more beautiful voices out there. And uh, she's a Grammy Award winning artist, and a few years ago she captured the attention of millions of people with her music. Uh, beyond her, her voice, which is obviously uh, great, the reason why people are drawn to her, her music is because of the themes of her songs. Uh, when I hear Adele, I, I can't help but think she's like the eration, relationship version of the book of Lamentations, because there's a lot of drama, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of grief, and believe it or not, we are drawn to sad songs. Uh, the Wall Street Journal did a, a study on Adele's music, and they called it the anatomy of a tearjerker, and why there are some songs that make us cry, and why we are still drawn to the songs. And uh, for Adele's songs, it says, the science says that there is a slight modulation in her pitch on a couple of her songs that adds to the tension in some of her notes. But for whatever the reason, we are drawn to sad songs, and it it's. It's important, though, to make a distinction this morning because to lament doesn't mean to be sad. To lament doesn't mean to be grieved. To lament doesn't mean to be angry. Lamenting is what we do with our sadness, what we do with our grieving, what we do with our anger. And so biblically, to lament means that we intentionally direct our sadness and sorrow to God which positions us to be transformed by God's grace. We intentionally directed our sadness and our sorrow to God, which positions us to be transformed by God's grace. And when we see it in this way, you'll notice that many of us don't lament. Sure, we're sad, but many of us don't lament. Sure, we're grieved, but many of us don't lament. Sure, we get angry, but many of us don't. Don't lament, we have a hard time doing so. Actually, I have a hard time lamenting And for a number of reasons, I have a hard time lamenting. First of all, one of the reasons I have a hard time lamenting is because of my personality. My personality doesn't gravitate towards much sadness and sorrow. I I tend to have a very optimistic look on life. And the good thing is I get to see a a lot of positives in negative situations. The bad thing, as my wife would attest, is I tend to ignore reality at times. But beyond my personality, sadness and sorrow is not something my Puerto Rican family did well. Uh, As I said on this different occasion, my family doesn't do sadness, we do salsa. And so whenever there's pain, there's no need to be sad. Throw in some music, dance the pain away. But beyond my personality and beyond my uh, family, beyond my culture, I found out that uh, people have a hard time lamenting across cultures, that regardless of what culture you're in, we have a hard time lamenting. But more significantly for our time today, lamenting is not just a family or cultural or individual problem. Lamenting is a problem in religious culture, and this is how I know the book of Psalms has 150 chapters, and out of the 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, 70% of the Psalms are laments. Most of the Psalms that we read are prayers of sadness, sorrow, and disorientation. But what's fascinating about our Western American religious church culture is laments are nowhere to be found. I read recently that out of the top 150 Christian contemporary songs that are out there, a whopping 0% of them are laments. And so in the book of Psalms, 70% of the 150 psalms are laments. In our contemporary Christian music industry, 0% our laments and so this is not just coincidental this is a problem in our discipleship this is a problem in our spiritual formation because there is a major disconnection and one of the reasons that this is is our current reality is because somewhere along the way we have been taught that to express our sadness and to express our sorrow means that we have immature faith And so in many churches, to to carry or offer sadness or to carry depression or disorientation is frowned upon, that God doesn't like you to be so sad. God doesn't want you to be disoriented. God doesn't want you to be depressed. And so this is the lens by which we articulate and interpret our emotions. And so consequently, we don't know how to deal with sadness. But what we have to remember is this. Jesus is known as a man Of sorrows and this is why emotionally healthy spirituality was birthed out of our local church here because it recognized that in order to be fully human and live in the way of Jesus we must offer the totality of our lives to God including our sadness including our sorrow and so today we're gonna look at one of the great laments of Scripture from the pen of David And it's a lament that uh, Christians throughout the years have gone back to offering our sadness and sorrow to God. Uh, Psalm 13, beginning at verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. David says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. One of the challenges of the Psalms uh, that you notice is that most times we don't have the context out of which the Psalm emerged. That is to say, we don't know what was going on in the life of David that provoked him to write this out. But because we know a little bit about the life of David, we can speculate a little bit about what might have provoked him to write Psalm 13. David begins with a psalm that questions God. And and you've been there before where we say, how long, Lord? Have you ever been there before? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? And when I think about those two questions, I think of a couple of moments in David's life that might have led him to speak to God in this way. Maybe David writes uh, these words in between the time when he was anointed to be king and the time that he actually became king. Maybe David wrote it when he was 17 years old or, or when he became king he was anointed at king to be 17 years old but he did not become king until he was 30 years old and so 13 years has gone by and maybe when he's 27 and 28 and 29 he's saying how long lord will you forget me forever david is waiting for something to happen and god doesn't seem to have answered have you ever waited for something to happen Wondering, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? And perhaps it was during this time where he's wondering, maybe, God, you forgot your promise. Maybe you don't care about your plan for my life anymore. And many of you know what that's like. Many of you uh, have dreams and passions Many of you have sensed deep down inside that God has called you to do a particular thing or be a particular person, but uh, like David, it's been years, and you're wondering, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Or maybe David writes uh, Psalm 13 after he became king, and it was during the time where his son Absalom was trying to kill him and take the kingdom from his father. And maybe it was that that time where David went into hiding and and as he was in a cave, he writes out these words, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? But whatever the situation, David feels abandoned by God, forgotten by God. And so he says, God, I, I thought you had my back. I thought you were for me but no you you've forgotten me you've played me you've dissed me you've let me go alone by myself you've let me down how long oh lord will you forget me forever and just like david we all have our how long oh lord moments we all have moments when it feels like god has forgotten us In his book on the spirituality of the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann says that we constantly move through three phases in our lives. He says we move through the phases of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. And the Psalms show this very clearly as Brueggemann points out, that every Psalm for the most part has some orientation, disorientation, and a new orientation. Orientation are the moments when everything is going well. Moments of stability, moments of order, there is contentment, there's money in the bank, there's no one sick in your family, you get a parking spot in your neighborhood very quickly, gas prices are down, life is good. This is orientation, and we love orientation. But life doesn't always stay in orientation. From time to time, you enter into disorientation, and these are the moments of disarray. These are the moments of confusion. These are the moments of pain. These are difficult moments, moments of sickness, moments of need. You don't get a parking spot. Gas prices are up. The Knicks don't make the playoffs. You are in disorientation. And then there is reorientation. And these are the moments where out of disorientation, God surprises us with goodness and grace. A bad situation turns out good. Healing comes when there was sickness. Reconciliation happens where there was division. Provision comes where there was sickness. This is reorientation. The book of Psalms chapter 13 begins with disorientation. And some of you, you came into church today disoriented with life. Some of you might be saying, how long, oh Lord, before I find a job? How long, O oh Lord, before racism is dealt with? How long, O oh Lord, before cancer is eradicated? How long, O oh Lord, before I finally meet that significant other? How long, O oh Lord, before our marriage is changed? How long, O oh Lord, before my child comes back to you? How long, O oh Lord, before we're able to have a baby? How long, O Lord, before I'm healed of my sickness? We all have how long, O Lord, moments. Moments where we don't get any answers from God. Moments when God is silent. Moments when there is disorientation. But in God's silence, David shows us time and time again that the way to respond to our disorientation is through lamenting. Lamenting is the spiritually mature response to sadness and sorrow. Our spiritual aliveness is not seen in our ability to suppress our sadness. Our spiritual aliveness is seen in our ability to lament our sadness and sorrow. You, You know a relationship is in trouble when someone doesn't even bother to protest or lament anymore. Whenever there's a problem that comes your way and someone says, you know what, I, I, I'm not even angry anymore. Whenever those are woo warning signal, warning, whenever someone doesn't get angry anymore when there's an argument. Whenever someone, when someone's indifferent, you know a relationship is in big trouble. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. When, when we, when sadness or pain comes our way and there is no articulation of that sadness, that is not a good sign of our relationship with God. That is a bad sign that something is wrong in our relationship with God. Because when you're protesting God, when you're saying, how long, oh Lord? That is not a sign of spiritual weakness. That is a sign of spiritual strength. That is a sign of relationship strength that this mad god matters to you're upset at god you're wondering god where in the world are you david is not a man of weak faith david is a man of strong faith and he's able to articulate his lament before god and so the way we deal with our sadness and the way we deal with our sorrow reveals a lot about our spiritual lives Some of us stuff our sadness because we see it as a sign of weakness. Some of us came from families that did not know how to deal with sadness. And so we are taught to stuff it. Some of us, we are trained to simply get over it. Our culture teaches us get over it. And so your boyfriend breaks up with you, get over it. You lose your job get over it go on linkedin your dog dies get over it go to the mall but but sometimes you can't get over it anyone know what i'm talking about sometimes you can't get over it and so sadness that is not dealt with sorrow that is not dealt with disorientation that is not dealt with tends to come up in different areas of our lives and disrespect to stuff our sadness and to stuff our sorrow is like trying to submerge a beach ball under the water. When you submerge your, a beach ball under the water, on the pool or a beach, it, it tends to come up in a different way. If you try to submerge it this way, it's going to pop up that way. If you submerge that way, it's going to pop up that way. It never comes up where, where you put it down from. And our sadness, when we stuff our sadness, it's, it, it's the beach ball effect on our sadness where Some of us wonder, why am I so angry? The question is, have you dealt with your sadness? Because many times, anger becomes a manifestation of sadness that has not been confronted. And so we stuff our sadness, and all of a sudden, we are angry, and we are enraged with the world, and many times, what happens is, we have not confronted our sadness, we have not confronted our sorrow, we have not lamented to God. So much of our addictions is a response to sadness, where we try to self-medicate our sadness through addictions. And so when we stuff our sadness, when we stuff our sorrow, it tends to come up in a different way, whether it's through addictions or whether it's through anger or whether it's through some other way. It always comes up in a different way. And so we have at least three options when it comes to disorientation, when it comes to sadness, when it comes to sorrow. We can either stuff it, we can absorb it in ourselves, just holding on to it, or we can lament it. And out of these three, it is only lamenting that will deeply transform us. Because it transforms us in a mysterious way. Because when we lament, our problems don't get fixed, but our lives get formed, formed into Christ likeness. Because when we lament, we open a door for God to enter in. Now, I want to show you something. I want to show you something in this psalm. In the first four verses, David is crying out. He is lamenting. He's expressing sadness and sorrow. And then, surprisingly, reorientation happens. Surprisingly, something mysteriously begins to happen because David goes in a moment from sadness to celebration. Celebration. In verse 5, David says these words. He says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises, for he has been good to me. What the heck just happened, David? How did you go? From how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? To I will sing the Lord's praises, for he has been good to me. 20 seconds ago, you were just saying, how long, O Lord? And now you're saying, the Lord has been good to me. What in the world is taking place here? Between verse 4 and verse 5, David is a different person. And the question is, what just happened? Is, Is David, has he experienced a dramatic mood swing? Between verse 4 and verse 5, did he take a little bit of medication and then all of a sudden said, but I will trust in your unfailing love? Or is David putting on a religious front like most of us do? That maybe David is singing this in the temple. Maybe he's writing this, and they're singing it. And all of a sudden, by the time verse four comes, another religious person walks by David, and so David has to cover his ground. And so he said, "How long, Lord?" He realizes someone's coming. Goes, "But I will sing of the Lord's praises. He has been good to me. How long, oh Lord?" <laughs> this is how we operate. I'm not gonna let anybody see me cry then he walk in. <laughs> oh no, no, God. What has happened today? Or is David, as as I was taught in my Pentecostal charismatic tradition, is David simply trying to praise his way out of problems? Something deep is at work. Maybe something has happened because David. Has lamented because between verse 4 and verse 5 David is a different person and why has he changed in a verse in one verse I'm sure the problem wasn't fixed In one verse I'm sure the problem still persisted but although the problem was not fixed David was changed what is that about now as I've been giving this some thought this uh, past week the last couple of weeks I thought about something that happens in our home at least two to three times a week. One of the ongoing lessons I'm learning as a husband and as a father and consequently as a pastor and as a friend is how to enter into someone's pain. And I tend to be solution-oriented as a husband, solution-oriented as a father. And listen, I've read all the books on this stuff here, right? I know that when my wife experiences sadness, one of the best things I can do is try not to fix the problem, but to enter in and be sad with her. I've read the books. (laughs) (laughs) But in our nine years of being married, I think I'm starting to do this more consistently with her. And this is something that Rosie is teaching me to do with our five-year-old daughter, Karis. Because in a given week, Karis has about 35 moments of sadness and sorrow in a given week, you figure about five a day. And one of them occurred at 7 a.m. last week, Karis woke up and said, I don't wanna go to school. Now, she says this every other day, so there's nothing new here. But last week, she was really sad about it. And so she says, I don't wanna go to school today, and so, I go into problem-solving mode immediately by pouring on questions on this five-year-old. Why don't you want to go to school? Don't like your teacher? Someone bothering you? Didn't do your homework? Why do you say this every morning? (laughs) And on and on. I start questioning this poor soul. And then Rosie peeked into the kitchen. And she had Nathan in her hand, our little seven-month-old she has in her hand, and I'm going, what's going on? I'm I'm staring at Karis like, this this is my posture, basically, to her. And Rosie walks in, and she peeks in, and she goes, all she wants is a hug. (laughs) I said, no, 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 we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. (laughs) No, we're going to fix this. What's the problem? All she wants is a hug. And so I say, you think so? She goes, I know so. Give her a hug. And so Karis is still crying, and I get down on one knee, and I go, Karis, I know what it's like to be your age and not want to go to school. Honey, I, I'm sorry you feel this way. Sometimes school is not fun at all. Sometimes I used to be sad. Come here. Give me a hug, baby. And I, and I hug her, and after about four or five seconds of squeezing her, I go, you okay? She goes, I'm Okay. And she walks away, and I'm just staring out into oblivion, just like, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> how, you were just saying you hate your teacher, <laughs> and, and now, you're, how can David go from verse four to verse five, just like that? Well, I, I think I know what's happened. When, when we lament, we're We're not just looking for the problem to be solved. When we lament, we're asking someone to enter into the pain of it with us. And so when David says, how long, O Lord? When David lamented, he created space for God. And when we create space for God, God doesn't walk in and says, why are you sad and weren't you sad last week and your mother was sad and your grandmother was sad and you're sad as well. No, he enters into our sadness with us. He absorbs our pain with us. Something very mysterious happens when we begin to lament. God begins to enter in because he is acquainted with grief. He's acquainted with sadness. He is the crucified God. He knows pain. He knows sadness. He knows disorientation. He knows anguish. And so when we open that space to God, he enters in, and somehow through his grace, he begins to transform us. And so, listen, lamenting leads to new life. And this means that we deal with our sadness and our sorrow different than the world does. When when disorientation comes our way, we, we don't ignore our sorrow. When sadness wells up, we don't suppress it. When pain surfaces, we are called to direct it to God. And this is why in in moments of loss and in moments of disorientation, we need each other as a community to do this. Because left to our own devices, we will ignore our sadness. May we be a church, brothers and sisters, that makes it safe for people to be sad. May your small groups when you meet around the city create a space that makes it okay for people to experience sorrow and disorientation. May we normalize that. Listen, life is hard sometimes, and sometimes I just need a good cry. Sometimes I just need to let it out. May we be a community that normalizes this experience for each other. We need each other to lament. Because in moments of of sadness and sorrow, it is so easy to suppress our sorrow and to suppress our sadness and just get over it. But getting over it will not transform our lives. Only when we offer our pain to God does our lives get transformed. Don't we see this in in romantic relationships since it's Valentine's Day weekend? Don't we see this in romantic relationships? That a relationship is over. And it breaks you and crushes you and you are tired, you're sad, but something inside of you, maybe some, some good meaning, but, but friends, but they don't know what they're talking about says, just get over it. He was a bum. Get over it. There's many, there's better people out there for you. Get over it. And so instead of lamenting, what we do is we repeat the process. We jump into something really quickly, the next relationship very quickly. And all of a sudden, the pattern continues because we have not spent the time lamenting before God, allowing our souls to be transformed by his transforming grace. We are to lament and create space for God to enter in. This is why I love Psalm 13. Because it mysteriously declares the truth of the gospel, that out of deep pain and brokenness and even death, God is bringing new life out of old stuff. And this is why it's important to understand Lent in its context, because the season of Lent, although it begins with ashes, it ends with resurrection. And so your life today might feel like a heap of ashes. Nothing is going your way, but we are to take the time to lament before God because in our lamentations, God enters in, transforms our lives, and although we begin with ashes, we end with resurrection, we end with our lives transformed, we end with a new way of seeing the world, we end with a new way of entering into the world, God has transformed us. Can you say amen? And so how do we begin to lament? How do we begin to do this? And I want to invite the worship team up uh, because I, I want to lead us into something very practical and very specific. How do we begin to lament? How you deal with your sadness and sorrow reveals a lot about our spiritual life. And so to begin to lament means very simply that we acknowledge the existence of our grief. Acknowledge the existence of our sadness. And whether we choose to write it down or choose to confess this before a friend, that listen, I am broken up by this. And I try to get over it, but I can't get over it. And I just need to lament it and offer it to God. This is what we need to begin to do. I love that David is such An integrated person because when you look at David he is not all praise and David is not all lament and David has figured out a way to integrate lament with praise and so many of us we are taught to uh, to praise our troubles away and yet there is another side to the coin where we are called to be integrated embracing lamentations and embracing celebration and not rushing to get to verse five and six. Most of us, we rush to verse five and six along our line, but I will trust you. No, 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 stay there. Stay there. Don't end there, but stay there. Because as you stay there, between verse four and verse five, something happens that we cannot control. Our job is to lament. It's God's job to transform. And so I can't give you a formula. Huh? If I lament seven times or 10 times, then will God, I don't know how God does it. But our job is to lament. And in our lamentation, it's, not, it's more than just a cathartic event where we're just giving expression to something, something supernatural is taking place where God begins to transform us. And so we acknowledge our sadness, And we surrender it to God. We surrender it to God. And sometimes we have to surrender it over and over again. And by means of his grace, he begins to transform us. And so, very simply today, what do you need to lament? What do you need to lament today? All of us in this room, there's something in the past week, the past month, the past year, that has brought grief to you loss, sickness, struggle, expectations that have not been met, hopes and dreams that have not been fulfilled. You thought your marriage was going to be different. You thought you'd meet someone by this time. You thought your financial situation would be different. You didn't think your family member would get this sick. You didn't think you would lose your job. Pain comes. The question is, what do we do with our pain? All of us are going to experience pain to one degree or another, time and time again, of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. The question is, what do we do with our sadness? Do we run to addictions? Do we run to anger? Do we suppress it? Do we ignore it? And in David, we see an integrated, spiritually mature person. Lamenting, and out of lamenting comes celebration. And this is what God is inviting us today so what I'd like you to do is I want you to, in your bulletin, there's a card. I want you to take it out. And I want to invite uh, the folks that are going to be in different areas of this room to just hold these baskets. Because I want to give us a moment very practically to, to acknowledge our lament before God. To acknowledge our sorrow and our sadness. And not try to just get over it. I'll oh, just get over it that we confess it before God and listen God God is not intimidated by your sadness and lament you think God is saying how how dare you question me God is very secure in his divinity okay (laughs) bring it on you're my son you're my daughter I know it's what you're experiencing he even enters into it so what are you lamenting today I want to give us about a minute Maybe you need to think about it. Maybe your laments are personal. Maybe there's some sickness in your body. And you're saying, Lord, how long until I'm better? Maybe there's fragmentation in a relationship at home or an extended uh, relationship. Your mother, your father, a cousin, a friend, something has happened and you're grieving that things have changed. Just write that down. this is what I'm lamenting and then I'll we'll have you come up forward so the folks that are going to be with the basket, just come forward here to your respective areas and I'm gonna invite you as we do to just come forward and drop do the very simple act of dropping a card in a basket and it's more than just dropping a card in a basket. What you're saying is, Lord, I surrender to you this sadness, this pain, this grief. I lament this before you, trusting that you will take my lament and that you will transform my life by the grace of God. So let's pause, and I'll pray for us and I invite us to stand. So, Father, we offer you our laments. We don't act as if everything is great and fantastic. Lord, we know and you know that everything is not fantastic. And we confess our sadness and sorrow and ask that you would transform us by your redeeming grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's all stand and let's come forward as the ushers lead you forward. And so we're called to be a people unafraid to offer our disorientation, our sadness, our sorrow to God. And the beauty of it is, wow, God begins to transform us. Now your mother probably said, don't be sad in my presence. Your your father probably said, put a smile on that face. But our Heavenly Father embraces the totality of our being, the good, the bad, the ugly. And so in this week, when, when sadness comes your way, when grief comes your way, when disorientation comes your way, the first thing we are to run to is to run to the arms of the Father and say, Lord, this is where whether you journal your prayers or you confess it out to God in prayer or, or whether you're with someone to offer that before God, that we do that in that way, and, and one of the ways that we want to uh, be a community is we gather together to do this, and it, in your bulletin, as Phil mentioned, there are a list of open small groups, of open small groups, these are groups that meet in different parts of the city, that gather for uh, to study scripture, to pray together, to share meals together, to, to journey with each other. And if you're not connected, if you're, if you're coming to New Life but you don't have a community that you can do this with, we are to be the kind of people that we can do this with. That we find five, six, seven other people that when grief comes your way, you're not holding it by yourself. You're able to lament. That we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those that mourn. We celebrate with those that celebrate. That's the kind of church we want to be. And so you can, you can follow up with that in your bulletin. All that information is there. We have our prayer team. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. Maybe you're holding something uh, very heavy today, some disorientation, and you just need someone to pray for you and pray with you. That out of the ashes, new life is emerging. That out of your disorientation, a new orientation is coming to the surface. That Lent is 40 days, but, but after 40 days, resurrection is coming. God is alive. He is for you. He is with you. You can come forward there. And, and we have our Lord, the Lord's table here where it really, it's a table of lament and it's a table of grace and celebration. Where we take bread and dip it in the cup. Christ was broken and bruised for you, entered into the deepest sorrow and grief for you and came out of it fully alive. And we too can come out of it fully alive as well. And so you can come forward and receive that. But as we close, I wanna invite you to open your hands towards heaven to uh, receive a blessing. And we close every gathering like this Because we cannot give what we have not received and we need the grace of God to give the grace of God the peace of God to give the peace of God the joy of God to give the joy of God we need to receive it we can't give what we don't have and so with your hands and the posture of receiving brothers and sisters sons and daughters of the living God may the Lord bless you and may he keep you may he shine his face upon you may he fill you with his peace And when moments of disorientation comes to you, may you lament before God, offering your sorrow, offering your sadness, and may God surprise you with his goodness, surprise you with his grace. May he give you everything you need in your moments of disorientation that a new orientation will emerge in your life. And so I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful and the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everybody.